Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. VCRs took a couple of years to take hold in my neighborhood when I was growing up and my family was not the first one to get one. Instead, it was one of my friends who got one, and he became much more popular as regular movie viewing would become an obsession in our circle of friends. About the same time that his family got this VCR, our first video store opened in town. It was a big draw for people in town who would just come and walk around the store out of curiosity, even before any of us had VCRs. After a few months of watching movies together, the friend of mine whose family owned the VCR started to enjoy horror films. This was completely new to me, but it was my group of friends and they were watching something new, so I would join in of the watching of movies, even though before this I had very little interest in them because they scared me. What started at this point was a weekly horror movie viewing. And at first that movie was provided by my friend who owned the VCR. But at one point, one of my other friends, whose family had gotten a VCR, volunteered to bring the next one. And that is when it became a round robin of who would bring the movie. I didn't even have a membership card, but my neighbor did, and would often let me borrow it to rent movies that I would watch over at my friend's house. So I did ask if I could borrow it without telling them what type of movie I was going to rent. And I went down to the video store to rent a horror movie. This was my first horror movie rental. And what I had not thought about up till that moment, how was I, a kid, going to rent a rated R film? So I walked around the store, kind of pacing, trying to figure out what it is I would rent to begin with. And then, how would I handle it? Would I just go up there and nonchalantly put the video on the counter and hope that they didn't look down at me, barely reaching over the counter? What I inevitably decided upon which is, I think, a pretty typical kid strategy, was I would rent a very obvious kid's movie and then this other movie and put them both up there. And if they questioned me, I would say, oh, I'm picking that up for my parents. The other movie's obviously for me. So I grabbed two movies, Bedknobs and Broomsticks and Ghost Story. I had seen Bedknobs and Broomsticks before and really liked it and thought, well, we could watch Bedknobs and Broomsticks later. I had never heard of or seen Ghost Story before, but I thought the cover was pretty evocative. So I carried it up, put it on the glass counter, took out my money and my card, and waited for the inevitable confrontation. And I was surprised to learn there was none. The guy behind the counter could care less. He checked out both videos, put them in a bag, and I walked home with them. Later on, I would work at this very video store, and then other video stores after it. I tried to be a bit more responsible about checking ages, I guess, when I had the job. But then you realize who's got the time. I have movies to watch, movies to stock, snacks to eat. We would watch Ghost Story that night, and moving forward, the round robin of renting would continue, and I would be introduced to many horror movies over the course of the next year, before my family finally got our own VCR. After that, the movie club sort of disbanded. Instead, we would see movies on our own and often exchange the tapes, which, when late fees were a big issue, 
was always a huge risk. Never lend your friend a movie where you're going to be charged a dollar late fee for every day that it's not returned. I learned a very important lesson as a kid at that point. I assumed that adults were watching me like a hawk, and that when they put out the rules, they meant it. But as I would learn from the video store and the store that would let me buy cigarettes for my mom and just going to the movies, the majority of adults are not even paying attention. And hence, I get to watch Ghost Story, followed by Bedknobs and Broomsticks. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about that first horror movie I rented, Ghost Story. We'll talk about the book it's based on, the author. We'll talk about the movie itself, the people in front of and behind the camera, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Ghost Story, the movie, is a 1981 horror film. It was directed by John Irvin and starred Fred Astaire, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., John Houseman, Melvin Douglas, and Alice Krieg. You wouldn't have this movie without the book, so let's talk a little bit about that horror novel. Ghost Story was written by Peter Straub, and it was published on January 1st, 1979. It was a big hit for Peter Straub. This book was a national bestseller, and it would elevate him into a higher level of horror writers, including people like Stephen King. In fact, Stephen King, when talking about horror, listed Ghost Story as one of the finest horror novels of the 20th century. And there's a lengthy review of it, and he explains why. So that should give you an idea of how well-received and respected this book is. I would read Ghost Story after having seen the movie, and it was a couple of years after seeing the movie. It had not really occurred to me that it was a book, and then one day I saw the cover, and the cover of the book is even more intriguing than the cover of the movie, and I hadn't even seen the hardcover at that point. I just had the soft cover with this great font that says Ghost Story. The book is an homage to ghost stories as a genre, and not only are people like James represented well, you're seeing sort of elements of the turn of the screw, but you get moments of Edgar Allan Poe, H.P. Lovecraft, Hawthorne, all thrown into the mix. I don't want to give a lot away of the plot of the book or the movie, but I'll talk a little bit about it. And there are differences between the book and the movie. They basically have to take a lot out. The big theme of the book is a story within a story, people telling stories within the larger stories. And it's a group of old men who tell ghost stories to themselves in a regular meeting, this chowder society. And as it turns out, they haven't lived that great a life. They had basically done bad things. And what we are seeing perhaps is cosmic justice about to be meted out on them for what they've done. I reread the book last year 
and I enjoyed it, but it's not the type of book that, for me, stands up to multiple rereads. If you like Stephen King books, especially his bigger character-heavy books, I think you'll like this book. When you are reading it, if you decide to read it before you see the movie, what you're going to be thinking the entire time is, how do you turn this book with all of these characters and all of these narratives and all these point of views into a cohesive movie? They do that by focusing on one plot and then taking all of these very compelling side stories and throwing them away. It was a sad thing and would probably be fun as a miniseries, but it's exactly what they needed to do to make the movie compelling and watchable. Otherwise, it would be a multi-hour slog. The author of the book is Peter Straub. Peter Francis Straub was born in 1943. He just passed away in 2022. He was a poet and novelist, best known for his horror and supernatural works. Chief amongst them would be the book Julia and Ghost Story, but he also co-wrote The Talisman with Stephen King. Not only was he a best-selling author, but he was honored with many awards over the years. He actually started in the mid-70s writing, trying to write more mainstream fiction, before switching over to the supernatural. His first book in that genre would be the 1975 book Julia. He would follow that up with If You Could See Me Now in 1977, but it was his fifth novel, Ghost Story, as I said, which was published in 1979 that would meet with both critical and commercial success. He would continue writing in the 80s, and then sort of fell off before coming back with the 1988 book Coco, which is a non-supernatural book about Vietnam. He would continue writing works, even teaming up with Stephen King again. He had begun publishing books of poetry in the 70s, and he would revisit that over the years. I haven't actually read much of Straub's poetry. I tried to look at some of it beforehand. No poet critic, but Seems pretty good. In 2016, King said that he and Straub planned to write a third Talisman book. Unfortunately, Straub passed away and that never happened. He would actually be interviewed in 2021 saying that he didn't think he could even pull it off anymore. So it seems like while the ideas were there, the will to do it or the time involved in doing it might not have been available to Straub. And sadly, we never got a third Talisman book before he passed away. So this book is doing very well. It's on bookshelves everywhere. You're seeing paperback copies in supermarkets. So some creative types in Hollywood thought this would be a great book to turn into a movie. And to do that, they hired Lawrence D. Cohen, who is a screenwriter and producer known for adapting the works of Stephen King. Most famously, the first one he would do was Carrie. In addition to Carrie, he would also work on two other King novels, the 1990 version of It, and the 1993 version of The Tommyknockers. Another Stephen King thing that he worked on was a segment he did for the 2006 TV series Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which were from the stories of Stephen King. So very tied into Stephen King, and an interesting person to bring on to turn this large book into a movie. So they had their writer, now they needed their director, and they settled upon John Irvin. He is a English director, started as a documentary director, also worked on television, did the BBC adaptation of the John Le Carre Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and in movies, he was probably best known for 1980's The Dogs of War, Ghost Story in 81, and then in 87, Hamburger Hill. You can sort of see the European influence in Ghost Story in its production, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. 
Let's gather round for a ghoulish ghost story. Did someone say ghost? It's blueberry! Bringing you my hauntingly delicious cereal with blueberry flavor and tasty marshmallows. I love blueberry. Silence, Blueberfoo! <laughs> Kids love my delicious cow chocolate with chocolatey flavor and tasty marshmallows. It's chocolatey terrific! Says who? Cow chocolate! Blueberry! <laughs> you can enjoy a good nutritious breakfast with blueberry! Cow chocolate! The plot of Ghost Story does take enough out of the books. In it, four older guys, members of what they call the Chowder Society, have a dark secret that they've been holding on to for a half a century. When one of the members' son dies, the four men start to have nightmares. Something's up. As it turns out, their past has come back to haunt them, and they tell stories about their past, and the way that the story unfolds is through storytelling, which makes for a very interesting narrative. What really captured a lot of people's attention about this film was that they cast some pretty big stars, but stars who were kind of well past the time when they were big stars. So you had Fred Astaire playing Ricky Hawthorne. Fred Astaire had a career that spanned over 75 years. A great dancer who is famous for being a partner of Ginger Rogers. They would do 10 musicals during the classical age of Hollywood, starting in the 30s. And he would continue working on pretty big films all the way up until the 1960s, and then would continue working, although on smaller roles. He won many awards and is considered a legend, so a real good get for the film. Playing the younger version of his character was Tim Choate. Choate passed away in 2004, at just the age of 49, he had continued to work over the years in TV shows like Babylon 5, but also movies like Blowout, Soap Dish, and the 2001 Pearl Harbor. Dr. John Jaffrey was played by Melvin Douglas, another actor who came to prominence in the 30s. While he started in the 30s, he would win Academy Awards in the 60s and 70s for HUD and Being There, another great horror film that he is in was The Changeling in 1980. So two pretty good horror films from the early 80s he appears in. Playing the younger John Jaffrey was Mark Chamberlain. He passed away in 2011, made his feature film debut in Christmas Evil in 1980, and then had this great role in Ghost Story. His final feature film was in The Ward in 2011, which was a John Carpenter film. Douglas Fairbanks Jr. would play Edward Charles Wanderley. Douglas Elton Fairbanks, another 1930s actor, was in The Prisoner of Zenda and Gunga Din, once married to Joan Crawford, son of Douglas Fairbanks, famous silent movie actor, arguably the second biggest name in this film from that era. Kurt Johnson would play young Wanderley, probably best known for Ghost Story. He was also in 1981's The Fan and in Manhattan in 1980. He sadly passed away in 1986. A lot of the younger actors passed away not too long or even before the older actors in this film. Finally, of the main four, you had John Houseman as Sears James. One of my favorite names both ways. John Houseman is a great name and Sears James is a great name. Houseman, who worked on films like Citizen Kane and The Paper Chase, for which he won an Academy Award, is best known for his amazing voice. He would do commercials for the brokerage firm Smith Barney. He also did a commercial for Puritan brand cooking oil. If you were around in the 80s and like horror films, you might know him from this or for his role in 
John Carpenter's The Fog. If you liked TV, he was also the grandfather in the TV show Silver Spoons, played Edward Stratton II. He has a great voice, so before we get on to the younger version of him, let's hear it now. Being born with a silver spoon in one's mouth is not enough. How quickly it can tarnish in today's topsy-turvy economy. When it comes to growth and the preservation of capital, many prudent investors look to Smith Barney. Smith Barney. They make money the old-fashioned way. They earn it. Ken Olin would play the young Sears James. He is a television actor, producer, director, who is actually known for something that's not Ghost Story. He was in the TV series 30-something, where he would receive a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor and would continue to work and is still working today. Finally, of the main cast that we'll talk about here, you had Alice Krieg, who played Eva Galley and Alma Mobley. Really good in this movie. Really brings a lot to the role. She was born in 1954 in South Africa. And her first film was Chariots of Fire and then would do this dual role in Ghost Story in 1981. For modern audiences, you might know her as the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact from 1996. She has a great TV and filmography and is still working today. There's so many other actors in the film, but rounding out the cast, you had Patricia Neal as Stella Hawthorne, Craig Wasson as Don and David Wanderley, Jacqueline Brooks as Millie Jaffrey, and many, many more. So to get this movie rolling, Universal Pictures bought the rights to Ghost Stories in 78, so pretty quick, for $225,000. They brought Burt Weisbord in to produce, and he contacted director John Irvin to direct it. And that was based on Irvin's direction of Haunted the Ferryman, which is a British television film. According to an interview, Irvin said once he read the book and screenplay, he saw it principally as a story about men's fear of women and at some point hatred. And so when tasked with making the film, and as I mentioned earlier, it has a sort of European vibe that's on purpose. He would hire several British people to be a part of his team, and the cinematography of it was meant to be European in appearance. He wanted it to kind of look like a Christmas card. They would film in Woodstock, Vermont and Saratoga Springs, New York, with extra shots being done in New York City, Albany, and down in Florida. Then for interior work, they filmed at Universal Studios in Los Angeles. Being on location and filming wasn't common for people like Fred Astaire, and the film itself was pretty moody, even the shoot and how they would do it. Fred Astaire had misgivings about continuing the film because he found it kind of unsettling to work on, which I find very interesting. I would have loved to have been on the set if that's the sort of reaction you're getting from a veteran like Fred Astaire. Maybe it was just that moody. And the film itself is quite moody, so if they were able to translate that to the day-to-day workings of the set, I don't think I would have lasted a day or two on a set like that. Everyone loves a good ghost story. The thrill of a well-told tale. But when the story ends and you are alone, the images linger. You can sense them, hear them. You feel watched, followed. For there is no escape from your own imagination. Ghost Story. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parent. When you are trying to make a good film, you need a good soundtrack. And Ghost Story 
leans into that sort of European continental feel by hiring Philip Sard. He's a French film composer. He has scored over 200 films, short films, and TV series, and has been nominated for an Academy Award. The soundtrack itself has 10 tracks, all of them good. It was released by MCA, and you can find copies of it on vinyl and cassette. And it was so well-respected that later on they would re-release it on CD, so you could get it in all three formats if you want. My copy is on cassette if you want to borrow it. Since this film has a sort of Christmassy tone to it, they were shooting to release it in December of 1981. So they began test screenings in October in 1981 in Boston and Denver. That went well. They would do limited screenings of the film on December 16th, and then it would go into wide release on December 18th of 1981. It would go on to gross $23.3 million and was the third highest grossing horror film of 1981 and the 34th highest grossing film of the year. And that was on a $13.5 million budget. So I got the listing of what was playing in my area at the time. And while I had not gone to see Ghost Story in the theater, I would see it first when I rented it. And even if I wanted to see it, I couldn't because it was not playing in my town. The movies playing in my town, and we only had the fourplex open at this time, were Warren Beatty's Reds, Neighbors, Sharky's Machine, and Ragtime. Now, if I were to go a town over, that would probably be my best bet where we would have seen a movie because Raiders of the Lost Ark was still playing at this one. But they were showing Pennies from Heaven, Ragtime, Taps, Again, Reds, but they were saying Diane Keaton in Reds on this one. And then Absence of Malice. I'm trying to find where this would be playing. There were Stripes was playing with Stir Crazy. So I guess a double feature on that. But if I wanted to see Ghost Story, it was a good 15-20 minute drive to get to a theater that was showing it. And all of the showings were evening showings up until the weekend. So I guess at these theaters, they didn't have daytime showings. But cost of a movie at that point, two bucks for matinees and Saturday and Sunday. But I would not have been able to see this film in my town. The big ad in this movie listing is for Absence of Malice. There's a pretty big one for the Rocky Horror Picture Show as well, which was doing midnight showings at that point. If I go to other pages, I'm looking at other... Let me get this second page up here. If I look at the second page that I got here, there were some other ads. Here's Ghost Story. And it's only playing in four theaters, which is the same amount where Heart Beeps is playing. And I did see Heart Beeps in the theater. But then under that, you had ads for Taps and Sharky's Machine. Boy, I saw a lot of Taps when it was on cable. So while it seemed like it had a pretty wide release, it wasn't usually wide released in my area compared to, say, Sharky's Machine. And remember, nobody leans on Sharky's Machine. Looking at some of the reviews at the time, they're okay. Roger Ebert seemed to like it. Although the New York Times, when I looked this up, praised the performance, but didn't like the oversimplification of the film as compared to the book, which I think is kind of an unfair criticism when you're trying to put this epic book into film form. He did mention the fact that it gets kind of predictable to kind of figure out what's going on, which is why I didn't want to give a lot away in the summary of the plot because it's kind of easier to figure out than many mysteries that you might see. So I didn't want to ruin anything. Overall, people liked the performances, were really happy to see these actors working again, and they liked the 
choices that John Irvin made in the film. Peter Straub was interviewed in Horror Magazine by Michael Berry, and he was asked what was his opinion of the works of his that were turned into movies. He prefers The Haunting of Julia, which is a lower-budget one, but he says that the incoherency adds a level of mystery. You don't know why these people are connected, what they're up to, and that's atmospheric. On the other hand, with Ghost Story, what you can see through the darkness is all too obvious. My sleek but expensive Cadillac was turned into a push bike by the director. So, not a lot of love for the movie version of Ghost Story. When asked about the chance of future books of his being turned into movies, he says, Now I don't think I have a chance of ever having another of my books turned into a movie. They're just too complicated, too full of story. And there's actually compassion for the villains. In fact, the villains get more love than the heroes do. I could see his work working on streaming platforms, so I would say look in the future. We might see some Peter Straub work getting put out on streaming services. Ghost Story was released on VHS pretty quickly and would get multiple VHS releases over the years. It would then get released in 1998 on DVD and then re-released in September of 2004. Its first Blu-ray release was by the very wonderful Scream Factory, part of Shout Factory, and they released that on November of 2015. That has an audio commentary with John Irvin as well as interviews with Krieg, Straub, Cohen, and others. People's opinion of Ghost Story are mixed. If you like the pacing and can get used to it, you're going to appreciate it more than someone who wants a fast-moving film. Visually, it can be quite stunning, but once you get used to visuals, it doesn't lend itself to a rewatch. So fandom for this movie are mixed, although you'll find that the people who are big fans of it are strong defenders of the film. And it makes sense that the film would have something going for it. It's based on a very rich book. And even if you pare down a work like that, some of that will leak into the film itself. And then you take someone like John Irvin, give him a great cast, and he'll make creative decisions that, while might not have been the standard for horror films at the time, certainly make the film interesting to watch. The cast itself is a huge bonus. You get to see some of the luminaries of early Hollywood on screen, many of them for almost their last time, and they deliver. They all put in really good performances. Irvin puts all he can on screen. The lighting and composition is great. Dick Smith did the makeup effects, and up close, some of them are really hard to take and always scary. What I think is unusual about it is that it's a mature horror film. It was made for an older audience, not the standard slasher flicks that you would go to. Instead, someone said, I'm going to make a horror film with sort of Euro sensibilities, a little artsy, something maybe some parents would like. And people went and saw it. It made money. Although I do think it's challenging. It certainly was for me and my friends at the time who didn't know what we were watching and were very confused because up till then we had been either watching classic horror from the 50s, 60s, or the more modern slasher flicks. And this felt more complex. It did feel more adult. It's elegant as a film, but it's not perfect. The book has so much more in it, and it's just sort of waiting out there for someone to do something with it. We have had some pretty long horror films made recently, and there's, as I said, all these streaming services out there that could finally 
sort of solve this big what if that I've had in my brain. What if Ghost Story had done better? What if it had gone in a different direction? Would we have seen more of Straub's work attempted to be translated to the big and small screen? In the past, I would say we'll probably never know. But I think with the attention that Stephen King gets a lot, that Straub and a few other horror writers who've been sort of on the periphery of King can be pulled in and their work's reinvented in a different format for all of us to enjoy. In the meantime, we have this classic film. And if you haven't seen it, you really should. If you haven't seen it as an adult, revisit it and really watch the decisions that were being made. I think you'll see it's a well-made film and a good ghost story. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and instagram.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word pixel, and the number eight. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, you could give it a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download it. The five-star reviews really help people find the show. And if you can do that, I'd really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show further, you can drop by Patreon. I'm at patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus tracks, some bonus episodes, bonus scans, and access to the Retroist Discord. It's a fun community, and I'd love to see you there. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. our home we think it's worth defending it's not as good as sharky's nobody leans on sharky's machine this has been a retrospective production goodbye